Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Eliyahu Stern, Assistant Professor of Modern Jewish Intellectual and Cultural History, Judaic Studies, Religious Studies, and History. His first book, The Genius, Elijah of Vilna, and the Making of Modern Judaism, has just been released by Yale University Press. He researches the transformation and development of traditional and religious worldviews in Western life and thought. Today we talk with him about his next project, dealing with the relationship between religion and secularism in the rise of Zionism. Welcome, Professor Stern. Pleasure to be here. You are working on a new um, book project on the um, origins of Zionism. Let's talk a little bit about this and can you define Zionism for us? Well, Zionism was a national movement, a Jewish national movement, that emerged in the second half of the 19th century in Eastern Europe. And it focused on uh, a, a Jewish renewal and the attempt to bring about a transformation of Jewish society from being a religion into a nation that would be able to ultimately uh, gain a homeland and have political sovereignty. So that's what Zionism generally was about. Mm -hmm. um, my book project, what I tried to focus on is the origins and the history surrounding the origins of modern Zionism. When most people think about Zionism, they think largely about Theodore Herzl, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Viennese Austrian journalist who famously supported and promoted in Western European countries the idea of Jews returning uh, to a homeland and protecting themselves against anti-Semitism. For example, um, just a few years ago when President Obama was in Cairo, Egypt, he described the Jewish homeland as being a function and a response to anti-Semitism mm -hmm. in modern life. And that the Jewish homeland was largely created in order to protect Jews against the atrocities, the pogroms, and of course uh, the Holocaust that happened in the 20th century. When most people think about Zionism, they attach it to the issue of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. So most histories begin either with their Theodore Herzl and his experience witnessing the Dreyfus affair when Alfred Dreyfus, the, uh, the, ar the French army man, was accused of treason and eventually was um, eventually was cleared of that charge and the charge was brought because of him being a Jew. Okay. Other people will begin modern Zionism in 1880 in Eastern Europe with pogroms that happened in Ukraine that led to a whole group, a mass migration of Jews leaving Eastern Europe off to Palestine and beginning to resettle the land in Palestine where uh, Jewish life would begin to re-emerge re in the 19th and 20th century. Okay. What I try to do in, in this next book that I'm working on is ask the question, well, why, why did they immediately go to Palestine? What was behind them thinking at this point? Why did this pogrom lead them to say, I'm going to pick up, I'm going to go all the way off to the Middle East? Mm -hmm and I'm going to resettle a land which is largely swamp land with nothing on it. Uh, I'm going to go through that hardship and, um, and, and leave my family. 
And what I discovered was there's actually a second story okay. behind uh, the origins of modern Zionism. Not one that just deals with the issue of anti-Semitism, but an internal story in terms of the crises and challenges of Jewish life. Okay. And what, what attracted you to this story? What led you to, to begin writing this book? Well, the story really largely revolves around the way in which in 1795 the Russian Empire took over Eastern European lands from uh, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, taking over, over the lives of over one million Jews. And what it asked those Jews to do was transform themselves from being part of a corporate entity, from being part of a corporation, largely living as a state within a state, and transforming themselves into a religion. So Jews were no longer going to be responsible for their socioeconomic well-being. Rather, all they were was a religious group, and as a religious group, they were entitled to being able to express themselves only in strictly in religious terms. So they weren't a different nation. They were simply a different religion. Now, the Russian government, it took them a, 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 through fits and bouts of them allowing Jews to actually uh, become a, a religion because they constantly were going back and forth in terms of granting them their own autonomous space mm -hmm. and at the same time demanding that they reform themselves to become subjects of a state and simply religious uh, practitioners. And what I realized was, was Jewish life went from largely being a cohesive whole, which had very little ideological breaks or fractures, which was largely based on geography and local custom, to all of a sudden in the 19th century, the birth of radically new and different religious ideologies. Mm -hmm. So there emerged in the 19th century Hasidism, which was a pietistic spiritual movement. There were enlighteners who were reform-minded uh, Jews who believed in secular studies and a transformation of Jews professionalized. And there were people who embraced the modern yeshiva, which was a religious learning institution. This fractured Jewish life. So you went from largely a cohesive body politic mm -hmm. in the 18th century, which was governed through a corporate structure, to all of a sudden all these various different denominations and ideologies. What Zionism came to do when it emerged in the 1870s and 1880s through people like forerunners like Moses Lillienblum and Peret Smolenskin was it wanted to address the fractures in Jewish life. It wanted to be able to do two things. Number one, reunify the Jewish people, bring them back together as a cohesive whole, which had largely been uh, undone by the last 60 years of them becoming or expressing themselves in various religious ways. That so, seems like a very uh, big hope, though. Right. Now, the way they were going to <laughs> accomplish that mm. hope, you're right, it's a, it's, a, it's a really big hope because you know, the, you know the famous joke. You have two Jews in the room, what do you get? three opinions. <laughs> so it, it actually was a, a, a very difficult task. And what they did was they said, okay, we know that there are all these various disputes. 
Some people see Judaism as being about texts and study. Some people see it about rituals. Some see it being about reform and reason. What we're going to do is we're going to say the religious aspects of Judaism are not the primary identity of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Jews are first and foremost, they would argue, a nation. And rather than seeing them in religious terms, the real revolution that Zionism is going to inaugurate, that's going to lay the groundwork for Herzl's uh, eventual um, uh, emergence in Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. is going to be a transformation from religious to a secular understanding of Judaism. That Judaism was not simply a religion, but rather it was a nation, and it could be understood in purely secular terms. Now what the secular terms did was it allowed both religious and reform, conservative and orthodox, to be able to come under a larger national project that bracketed all the divisiveness and debate over do I believe in God or do I not believe in God? Mm -hmm and address people's socioeconomic well-being. But why was that important? Well, it was important because, as one, as one critic put it, the crisis of the fork and the, and the knife, mm -hmm. which was the Russian state was unable in Eastern Europe to provide Jews with the kind of socioeconomic opportunities to better their lives. So while they forced Jews to become privatized, stripping of them, of their uh, political autonomy, they weren't able to provide them with opportunities that would allow them to put bread on the table. So what Zionism said was, we want to address the fact that you are going hungry. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to figure out a way to be able to, to, to better your, uh, to be able to better your socioeconomic situation. And the only way to do that is to get out of these religious debates and to be able to focus on improving and bettering the, uh, uh, the national aspects of Jewish life. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so basically, what does Zionism tell us more generally about the nature of secularism and nationalism? Well, it, there's been a long time myth um, in, in the Zionist narrative that Zionism was simply something secular that came out of a tabla rasa that emerged with no, uh, with, with no forerunners before it. Mm -hmm. Herzl, for example, couldn't speak Hebrew. Um, that myth has largely been discredited. If you look at the history of Zionism, mm -hmm. you see that there are many examples of religious language, religious ideals and ideas that permeate Zion, early Zionist rhetoric. Mm -hmm. So for example, Peret Smolenskin, one of the proto-Zionists in the late 19th century, argues for, uh, argues for Jewish nationalism based on the idea of tikva. Tikva is the Hebrew word for hope. And what, what, what Smolenskin did was he took a messianic biblical concept and he turned it into what we would call today the politics of hope and redemption, mm -hmm. which clearly has religious connotations, but ends up moving into a space that can be understood free of any metaphysical assumptions mm -hmm. and that's rationalized and universally accessible. So what I'm trying to show in my research is 
the connection between secularism and religion, but at the same time, the transformation that occurs. So for example, while America certainly draws from biblical motifs and ideals, it attempts though to take those ideals and motifs and turn them into a universal language that's accessible to all peoples. Mm -hmm. So too, when you look at the Zionist project, it's taking ideas that certainly come from what we would call Jewish literature. But what it's doing is it's further rationalizing that literature, mm -hmm. freeing it of its metaphysical assumptions, and opening it up to a wider public. Mm -hmm. So for example, when Moses Lillianbloom will talk about forerunners to, to Zionism, he'll actually point to a man named Joseph Salvador, a Christian-born French not early 19th century thinker who called for a rapprochement between Jews and Christians and the return of that new group to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. Salvador was not a rabbinically Jewish man. He was actually born of a Christian mother. And yet, for Lillian Bloom, who is one of the precursors and forerunners of modern Zionism, mm -hmm. Salvador was his inspiration. Okay, so how will your book differ from the body of work that is, is available today? Well, what I'm hoping to do is, I'm hoping to be able to intervene, I think, in a really important debate that's going on right now in academic and in political circles, which is a, a number of people have recently begun to explore the religious roots of Zionism and question whether or not the movement, because of those roots, mm -hmm. um, is able to ultimately, will ultimately be able to achieve a democratic, liberal state being Israel. And what they point to, it's both, on the one hand, many of Zionism's critics and some of its staunchest defenders, is that Zionism ultimately is based on a certain biblical, messianic worldview with all kinds of apocalyptic, dangerous apocalyptic uh, possibilities. Mm -hmm. Its staunchest supporters will say, yes, the Bible shows that the this is the Jewish homeland. Its defenders will say the fact that it's, it, it's, it's uh, critics, Zionism's critics will say, the fact that Zionism is attached to biblical and messianic concepts shows that ultimately it will never be able to free itself of certain racist and exclusivist tendencies. Mm -hmm. So both on the left and the right, the attempt to see Zionism in religious terms complicates and in some ways undermines the ability for Israel to remain a secular democratic state. What, I'm, what my work is trying to do is trying to shed light on the relationship between religion and secularism to show while in its roots it pulls from certain religious texts such as the Bible, Nonetheless, Zionism transforms those texts, works through them in order to make the state of Israel something that is more accessible, more rational, freed of its metaphysical assumptions, ultimately liberal and democratic. Mm -hmm. And that tension, it's really that tension between secularism and, and, 
and religion that all of us in Western life are constantly, uh, constantly working through. America, Europe has a whole Christian history as well which it pulls from in terms of its values and ideals. Mm -hmm. And yet it's constantly trying to work through that history in order to not let it, not let their political institutions remain closed, but rather open them up and make them accessible to people of various faiths with various racial and ethnic backgrounds. And that's really one of the great challenges of Western life, which is largely our secular institutions have come out of a religious world view and how do we at, on one hand respect where those values come from but recognize that we want to make these institutions open and accessible to people from various backgrounds mm -hmm. so what do you think the future holds for Zionism I think that's uh, if, if I, I, I am no prophet, mm -hmm. and I think that actually one of the most important things that I'm arguing is precisely we don't know, and that's what we have to live with. If you see Zionism in simply messianic religious terms, you know what the future holds. Mm -hmm. It holds apocalypse, it holds Messiah, it holds God coming down from heaven. Who knows? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of... People who, who have a messianic religious, uh, religious version of, of Zionism, they know what the future holds. What I'm trying to argue is that what it means to engage in modern politics is not to know what the future holds. It's to be able to live in the present and to be able to entertain the possibility that the future can be anything. Okay. So when will your book be out? When will my book be out? Well, my first book just came out mm -hmm. on Elijah of Vilna uh, about a month ago. So I'm, I'm still working, working through um, the different responses I'm getting to that. Mm -hmm. This book, I hope, will be out in the next year or two. Okay. I'm right now finishing, finishing it up. And uh, hopefully I'll have it at a, a publisher sometime soon. Okay, great. We will look forward to seeing that. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Marilyn. For more information about Professor Stern and his research, please visit our website at yale.edu slash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale. Mm -hmm.